You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Together, it is such an honor to be with you again this morning as you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up as we are finishing up next week our series on the Lord's Prayer. You're going to think it's this week, but it's next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about fasting. We're going to be talking about what it means to fast, how we fast, biblically, what are the options in fasting, why do we do it, why do maybe we not do it. And we're going to talk about it next week and look at it all over Scripture. And what I really want you to be ready for is that then at the end of our time next week, I'm going to encourage you. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you you need to consider some type of fast over the next week after next Sunday. We're going to have some booklets prepared to lead you in fasting and prayer for our community, for our faith family, for yourselves, for your own family. Uh, we're going to be encouraging you to pick out one of the few types of fasts that we're going to lay forth for you. As some of you can't do a solid, full fast for several days. Some of you have to do like some types of different fasts because of health reasons. That's fine. We're going to have options laid out for you of what you might can do, and you can tweak that as you need to. Uh, what we want is we want our faith family to be one in unity as we pray for the Lord to do a mighty work in us and through us to this community. And so we want you to join with us. So be praying, asking the Lord to open your heart, open your desires of your heart to be willing to do whatever He calls you to do as He leads us to participate together in seeking Him and His will for our faith family, for this community, for the sake of His glory. So get ready for that. That'll begin next Sunday. We'll pass out those, those booklets for you to give you some guides. Uh, we'll preach and teach on that, and then we will enact it for a full week. And at the next Sunday after that, we'll break our fast that morning, and we will celebrate as we worship the Lord together on Sunday morning the following week. So get ready. Next Sunday, we'll begin that week-long endeavor. Right now, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 in particular. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 to get us ready for this, knowing that when we look and see what we are trying to learn right now in this series we're walking through, how do we pray? If we want to pray in which God hears us, we want to pray in a way that, that our lives are changed to talk to God the way He wants to receive our language. If we want to pray in the way in which He says is best, we need to just go to Jesus himself and say, how do we pray? And he says, pray then like this. Look with me. Pray then like this. Verse 9, chapter 6 of Matthew. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, I don't think that we actually understand in its fullness what we say in most of these pieces of the prayer. We've talked about it for the last few weeks, and this week we're going to focus on verse 13. And I think there again, we don't really understand the fullness of what we're saying when we pray these words. Let me read them one more time. And lead us, Father, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray that God would work in us as we endeavor to learn more about how he wants us to pray. Father, you 
are capable of doing anything you desire. So we ask, Father, we beg you today to work in us to help us to understand more rightly how to pray to you, how to understand who you are. Lord, we want to see your name made famous in this place, in this community. And Lord, we ask that you work in our hearts to change us from the inside out so that your will would be done right here in us and through us for Etowah County and for those who need to, to know you, those who need to be encouraged by the good news of your son Jesus, those who need to repent and believe in him for the first time. We want to see your kingdom come your will to be done on earth, in us, in this faith family, as it is in heaven. So, Lord, we ask, give us what we need today. Give us what we need that we might rely upon you and that we might see your son, Jesus, made famous in this place. We ask you as you prepare to do that in our hearts that you would forgive us of our sin, just like we are forgiving those who have sinned against us. Lord, we beg you, please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at these words again. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think most of us do not really understand that word temptation in the way it was originally intended, the way it was originally said in the context. I want to unpack it just a little bit for us as we look into our English translations, which are good. But the idea here is a, a word in the original language that means more than just a temptation to sin. It also can be a broader term, and it's used and actually interpreted in other places in the same Bible you're holding as the word testing or trials. It's not just temptation to sin. We've, we've kind of taken it, and anytime we see the word temptation, we always think about a negative side of things. But it's also a testing by God in a positive way. It can be a, a trial for us in our faith. And so we have to understand what is Jesus telling us when he tells us to pray in this way, saying, lead us not into trials or temptations or testing, Lord, but deliver us from evil. The connotation most likely is the negative side in a big way, but it means more than just that. When he says deliver us from evil, the original language actually says deliver us from the evil, it could be intending talking about the same way where the enemy is referred to by Jesus in other passages. The evil one is translated the same word later on in other places. In fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, we see that same word translated that way. It might be here that it is just supposed to be evil. And just so we remember, the word evil in Scripture, a biblical understanding of evil, uh, we have to understand first the, the meaning of good. Good is anything that draws us into a deeper, more intimate reliance upon God into a better relationship. That is a good thing. Anything that draws us away from relationship with God is seen as an evil thing in Scripture. That's a definition of evil we need to hold to here. And when he says, lead us not into temptation, into trials and testings, but deliver us from evil, we have to take a step back and ask, what do you mean? You see, it's imperative we understand why Jesus tells us to pray this way, because this prayer could and should change our lives today. In fact, I would argue that most of us think of that word temptation, and we think we understand what it means in general and in particular to ourselves, but I'm going to argue today that I think it's a much broader concept than we've actually understood most of our lives, at least for most of us, at least for me. 
And I think we need to put it in perspective. So let me try to do that real quick. So let me say it like this. Every experience, every experience that we endure in this life is at its base a testing or trial of our faith. Every experience. From the good gifts that God gives us to the pain and suffering that He allows to enter into our lives, every moment of every day is actually a trial. It's the same idea this word is coming from, a trial, a testing. And every good thing, every difficult circumstance, all of it is intended to be a trial that is supposed to shape us and change us more into the men and women that God created us to be originally so that we might rightly reflect His glory and His goodness to the world around us. And so every moment of every day is a trial to see whether or not we're going to act in faith. Little things come our way that we may never even notice that are meant to be trials and testings of our faith. We're going to explore these pieces as we go. Before I go any further, let me just lead us to a place called, or a place in, in, in Peter's letter where he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he begins in worship, chapter 3, after his introduction, salutation, he begins to worship the Lord and pen. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Amen? Don't we rejoice in that? If you have put your hope and faith in Jesus, we rejoice in that truth. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. That same word there we translate over here for temptation. You have been grieved by various trials. So if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that, here's the reason why you've been grieved by these various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, in other words, that your tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So that when Jesus comes back, that the tested genuineness of our faith would be to his praise and to his glory and to his honor. So therefore, that's why we go through these trials, these temptations, these struggles. Let me make sure I'm really clear today that God loves each and every one of you exactly the way you are right now. However, he loves us all too much to leave us where we are right now. He loves us too much to let us be as we are. He wants to see us made more and more into the image He created us to be. And when we become Christians, hear this, we will go through trials and tribulations. Some people preach a different gospel. It's not the gospel of the Bible when they say you will not go through trials and tribulations. If they tell you your life is only to be blessed and that if it's not, the reason is because you don't have enough faith, they're lying. It's not of Scripture, because we see that even the Son of God, fully God, fully man, fully perfect, went through trials and tribulations, even to the point of death on the cross for us. And we will therefore be in His image as we suffer at times. We are not promised an easy life, but we are promised eternal life if we put our hope and faith in Jesus. And when these trials come upon us, 
every possible good outcome that might shape us and mold us into the better us that we're intended to be, which might draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. All those possibilities for good outcomes, they also come with the bearing of the responsibility and the possibility that we might be tempted to fall into a sinful outcome that would be detrimental to our relationship with God. Every trial has that option. Every testing has that option. So when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, lead us not into trials and adversity and temptations, but deliver us from evil, I want to set out at the very beginning and talk about what it means to be tested and what it means to be tempted and to understand how those things work from a theological paradigm that understands who God is and who we are in relationship to that. So let me say it like this. Number one, we will be tested by God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You and I will be tested by God. We are, I would argue, being tested every day, every moment of our lives. And we fail all the time. But we are tested every day. If every experience of our life is a test of faith, and God tests us through our experiences so that we might see our need for Him and appreciate and enjoy Him above all other things and all other people, then we have to understand that God's testing us is an act of deep and abiding love that He's demonstrating to us when He tests us. That's very important to understand. You don't go through things because you did something wrong. You don't go through testing. Now, there are consequences to our actions. But if you go through testing and trials, you go through that because God loves you and wants to change you for your good and for His glory and for your joy. That kind of testing reveals our need for Him. That kind of testing reveals the greatness of our salvation in Jesus. That kind of testing reveals His continual desire to bless us by showing us that having Him is the actual and true and greatest blessing. And although God does test our faith, I want to make sure we understand this morning, God never tempts us to sin, ever. He is not the author of temptation to sin. You understand? Scripture will speak this for us. James 1, 13. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That's what the Bible says. Let me say it again in a different way. Every temptation in our lives emanates from the sin that lives within us. You understand? From our own desire. So the question begs, right, right? How does God then test us, but he doesn't tempt us to sin? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. I'm going to try to help to find the answer to this. Let's look at how God tests us in some ways. One of the ways that God tests us is by giving us really good things. Okay? He tests us by giving us really good things. James 1, 16 through 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift is from above, from the Father. You see, every time God provides something good for us, whether it be a thing or a spouse or a child or a friend, whatever it is, every good thing that comes from Him, He does that, He gives it to us so that we will recognize that the giver is greater than the gift. He lets us see how good He is by what He provides for us. But our sinful nature continually, over and over again, tries to focus our hearts more on the gift than on the giver. It's part of what one old dead guy says, that our heart is an idol factory. You see, this is where temptation comes in. And we like to blame it all on Satan, and there is an active part to do by Satan or his minions, right? Satan might take that good thing in your heart and whisper in your ear that those pleasures God has given you are actually the end-all, be-all. In other words, Satan takes those pleasures that God's given us and he tempts us to idolize them so that we find our joy in the gifts instead of the one who gave them to us. It's easy to do, right? It's really hard to see a child that God has given you to hold and to nurture and to take care of and not think that this is the best it possibly could be and this is the end-all, be-all. However, all those good things about that child that God has given you to steward, not to own, by the way, he's given to show how great and glorious he is because the greatest gift he could ever give you would be to give you the best thing in the universe, and that's him. So we see even the good things, even our good experiences are a trial from the Lord because do you give him glory in the good things, or do you lift up those good things and make them ultimate things? Because really there's only one ultimate, and that's God himself. It's a trial. Every good thing is given to you because he loves you, and it's a trial to test your faith at the same time. So even the good things, even our good experiences are a trial from the Lord, but what about the bad experiences? Okay, let me try to work on these. Every time that God allows a fiery trial in our lives, he does it so that we will trust in Him and recognize that our only real hope for relief is found in His saving grace and love that He provided for us in Jesus. Everything we walk through is to point us to our need for Him. Everything. When we suffer, our sinful nature tells us to curse God. You ever had that struggle before? It's okay to be honest. You ever had a struggle where you go through something and you feel mad? Come on, God, you can give me one more day. Just one more time. Why did you have to let them go through that? Why, why did you have to let them see that? Why did you have to let them experience that? Why did you take that now? Like we kind of have that inside. We try to check ourselves if you're in Christ, if you've been bought with his blood, but still, even then, we begin to kind of want to shake our fist at God. Our sinful nature tells us to curse him. And the evil one, he tempts us to think that God is not for us, that maybe he's against us. But that's the biggest of lies. We think that, man, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. We think if God really loved me, he wouldn't put me through this moment. He wouldn't put me through this season. Oh, no, brothers, sisters. 
God loves you so much that he sent his one and only perfect son who should never have to endure any hardship or suffering. He sent him to suffer for you in the greatest of ways so that those little sufferings you go through now will not endure forever because Jesus is purchased forever on the cross. You do not have to endure them forever. If God were not for us, he would not have given us his one and only son to rescue us from Satan's sin, death, and hell. God never, ever promises to to keep us from suffering in this life. Even when Jesus prays to his father in John 17, when he's in the garden and he's praying, we see him say, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, he says, talking about the disciples and eventually talking about us too, as he says, those that would come through his disciples. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, father, but that you keep them from the evil one. I don't ask that you take them out of their hardships, but that you keep the evil one from getting them. That's what I ask. You see, when suffering or death comes, we're so quick to blame God or to think we did something wrong, and we can raise our fist in defiance. But let us remember how God has not raised his fist toward us in our own rebellion, but instead he raised his son Jesus on the cross so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have justification, that we could be declared right even though we are sinners. Remembering that suffering and death entered the world as a consequence of sin from our ancestors and even our own sins. And even though we rebel against him, a holy, perfect God, he's not raised his fist toward us in anger. Instead, he put his son Jesus on the cross and Jesus poured out his blood on that cross to wash away our sins so that we could endure anything because he has already purchased us on the cross and made our way possible. So when we pray to him, oh Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In some sense, he could rightly say, I have. His name is Jesus and I've made the way. You will go through times of trial and testing, but when you do, turn to Jesus. You see, when we come through those trials that God allows us to walk through, we actually see God and his glory more clearly than we actually did before. Therefore, we begin to love him more than we did before. When you go through a difficult time and you see the suffering that you have to walk through, and when you get through that time and you recognize the only way you actually made that through is because God was gracious enough to to take some of that away and to give it to you in waves so it didn't overwhelm you, and to take some of that away by letting you rest in him when you finally laid your head down after day two or three, when you see the the difficulties that arise in those moments, you see how God carried you through. You didn't sense it at first, but on the way that you're done, on the way other side of it, you see that he walked you through that time, that you were never alone, that he held you in his arms through that moment, through those seasons. In those times, you see how good he really is. And when you see those things, when you experience those things, you love him more. He didn't have to do that. He could have left us to our own devices. Instead, he sent us Jesus, his only son, to bring us into his family, to love us as a true father loves a child. And he does it for his own sake, like Isaiah 48. For my name's sake, I defer my anger, he said. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. 
For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, he says. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And then we see in Zechariah another example. He says, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. You will walk through the fires and you will not know what to say, but you will say, he is still my God because you have experienced him and you know what he's done for you in Jesus. And even though it is horrible, even though it is overwhelming, even though it's more than you can bear, you know that Jesus bore everything for us on the cross so that we do not have to bear it eternally but only this light momentary affliction when compared to all the weight that Jesus bore on the cross for us do we have to carry now. It's not easy, but he carries it with us so we don't have to bear it alone. So let's not only look at the Old Testament, right? Let's look at Jesus. Temptation molded the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior. You see that? Before he entered into the ministry, 40 days in the desert, tempted by the enemy at the end after fasting and prayer. We like to think in the weakest moment, but I, I would argue probably in the strongest moment you could possibly imagine as he is fully dependent and residing with the Father, unhindered by anything else when the tempter then comes to him. After 40 days of that relational moment, over and over and over, for 40 days, the tempter comes. It's booked in it at the very end before he goes to the cross, tempted again in the garden to flee from the cross, But what does he do? In both times, he conquers temptation for us, for the glory of the Father, for the salvation of our souls. And if temptations help shape the life and ministry of the perfect Christ, much more do they do so for us. Temptation is necessary for the development of our moral character. That's what one old day guy said as I was reading this week. I would even argue it goes further, that it's necessary for the development not only of our moral character, it's necessary for the development of our eternal joy. The more we suffer now, the more we revel in his goodness. It's hard to understand that, and nobody wants it. But the more you go through now, the more you understand and enjoy him for for eternity. And even starting now. So to truly understand the importance of this prayer, to truly understand that this is a prayer of dependence on God, we must understand the power of temptation. And this is where I think we have failed and not gotten it. So I hope you're ready to kind of Take a check of self as we walk through this point. First thing you need to understand is that everything in your life can become a temptation. Everything in your life can become a temptation to sin, a temptation to rebel against how you're created to love God because he first loved you. So here's a few ways that we fail to recognize the power of temptation in our own lives. I want you to take an account of yourself. Don't be thinking about your neighbor. Don't be thinking about your friend or your loved one you wish was here. What is God speaking to you about today as we think about these temptations? For he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are some temptations you need to be brought out of? The easy one, right? Temptation can be outright sinful urges and lusts things that we desire, things that we want in the moment, things that you know of, that you're cognizant of probably. However, I would say that we are not all self-aware of our own personal weaknesses enough to remain watchful and dependent upon God, right? We don't always get it. We don't always see it coming. 
We don't always think that it's going to be too much for us. A lot of times we will know where we struggle and yet we step in the same holes every day. We wouldn't do that driving our car down the road, but we do it spiritually often. That's with the easy ones. What do you know, right? How about this? Temptation can also be a dereliction of duty. In other words, if God is leading you to do something and you refrain from doing that thing, that's a temptation on your life not to walk with the Lord. If all of our relationship with God is about being present with Him, if it's about being in His presence, being together with Him, walking with Him, enjoying Him from now until the end of eternity, if everything that is in our whole life is meant to be circled around God's presence in our lives and He leads you to do something and you shun Him, by either just not doing it or saying no, then you're walking away from everything he's done for you on the cross in that moment. And thankfully, that sin's covered by the blood of Jesus too. But why would we ever walk away? And are you being led to be a part of something or do something that God wants you to do and you're turning away from it? Let us not be like Jonah. Let, let us not run against the Lord. How about this? How about a temptation that's harder to spot? The things that are so great in our lives, so good in our lives. Things like money, success, honor, prestige, accolades. Think about it for just a moment. Here's what one of my commentators said. He says, it is precisely the positive and great things in our life that need to be taken in hand. Jesus did not say it's impossible for an adulterer to enter the kingdom of heaven. He did say how hard indeed impossible it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe the temptation we have is to hold on to things that really are not meant to be ours in the first place because we are only stewards of anything we're given. And every good thing comes from the Father. Amen? In that sense, maybe if you think Maybe, God, would you reveal to me the good things that I might be making ultimate things? The temptation to love them more than I love you? Here's a good test. You're not going to like it. Are you ready? If there's one, thank you. You're ready. You guys got to jump in in a minute. Here's, here's the good thing, right? The good thing is it's really easy test. If, if it's a thing that you're holding on to, if it's a thing that you want much of, here's what you do. You give it away and you see where your heart is after you've given it away. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? If it's your 401k, give some of it away. And then see where your heart is. If you're in pain and you're mad and you're upset, your heart was there, not in the Lord. Okay? If it's, if it's a relationship that you've been holding on to and you just can't let go and you can't give it to the Lord, you can't trust Him with it, give it over to Him and see if He's enough. And trust that whatever He gives you back will be enough. If you can't do that, then you're holding that thing as ultimate and not him. You say you are holding him as ultimate, but we're not really. How about honor? How about I can't give up this position, I can't do this thing, this defines who I am. If that's you, if that really defines who you are, then you're finding your definition, your identity in something and not someone whose name is Jesus, that's wrong. Give it away. Find your hope in him. Find your identity in him. It is not worth your eternity, I guarantee you. And you say, that's crazy. Maybe you're talking nuts. But what it, Jesus talks nuts then when he says, many will come to me in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, 
Those who thought they were believers. Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I, do, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can come to church every day of your life. You, you can pray every morning, read the Bible every morning. And he can look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Simply because you thought you were his because of all that you've done instead of recognizing that what he, done, what he has done for you was not enough. He's either everything or he's nothing when it comes to your relationship with him. How about this one? This is going to sing a little bit. Are you ready? All right, some more of you. Temptation can be the time consumers in our life. Temptation can be the time consumers in our lives. I don't know about you, but whenever I had a test in college or a paper to write, I found everything else that had to be done first, right? Time consumers. I had to do the thing. I procrastinated. That's a microcosm. Let's think about it bigger than that. I think we are in danger of being so distracted that we don't even realize we are tempted until our hearts are already failing and falling into sin. Listen to it like this. We can busy ourselves so much with time consumers like, I'll throw some out technologically, like Netflix, TV shows, our phones. You may think this is the wrong service for that, right? All those young people were here today after D-Now. They were hanging out in the front. I'm telling you, I've seen more people over the age of 50 glued to their phones than I have people under the age of 30. Our telephones are busy things that we do that in the ultimate, in the end, won't matter. Our culture tells us they matter. Facebook, Twitter, I'm not trying to preach against those things. I'm just saying they, they say that's everything, really. Your persona there is everything. What I'm telling you is that God wants you in his presence, consciously aware of him, enjoying him now. And we give ourselves to other things. Those things actually become our unconscious way of deciding against God. Did you hear that? Those things become our conscious, actually subconscious way, our unconscious way of deciding against God. Here's what I mean by that. We have the creator of the universe who dwells in us if we have given our hearts to Christ, if we have believed and hoped in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And his death on the cross means that he has now sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. The creator and sustainer of the universe, our Father, who's adopted us into his family, even though we were rebels. And that he lives in us, and while he lives in us, we would rather spend our time on things that do not matter one iota. I'm preaching to self as much as I'm talking to you. We are unconsciously deciding against God and time with him when we do those things. Man, we would be revolutionary today if we decided to pay more attention to the things that matter and to the presences of God and people than we did to the other things we give our time to. Here's a question. Do you need to slow down? You may think I've slowed down a lot over the years. I'm saying, do you need to slow down and take back captive your daily lives so that you can just hear God speak to you? When was the last time you sat quiet after reading the word, praying out to God, and then sat quietly and just waited for God to bring something to your heart and mind to speak back to you? Two minutes even. If I gave two minutes right now in this service of quiet for you to do that, it would be the most awkward feeling two minutes of our lives together. It shouldn't be. We speak a lot 
here's a good indicator. Maybe we're not as healthy as we think we are if we're the only ones talking all the time. We ever thought about that? You know, I can tell I'm around a bunch of kids. I have five in my house. They never stop talking. They don't even wait to listen when, you, when they ask a question. They ask another one or they ask it again, right? Maybe that's us. Maybe we're the kids. Maybe to mature, we need to stop and wait and listen for the Lord. Watch for the Lord. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. How would our lives look different if we weren't tied up in the temptations of time consumers? Maybe this one. This will get us real quick. Temptation can even be our own, listen to this, temptation can even be our own self-reliance to overcome temptation. Relying on self to overcome my temptation. That can be a temptation. Sounds like a double speak. Let me say it a different way. We believe we know the cures for our own temptations, so we rely upon our own strengths and devices. Let me say that in a few examples. Here's one. I'm never going to do that sin again or ever because I'd be risking the honor people have given me by asking me to be a leader in this church. Or I can't do that sin because I'd ruin my reputation in this community, so I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm relying on my own strength there to not do that sin because I don't want to lose the honor and prestige. Or maybe this, I won't fall into that sin because I would be so ashamed of myself if I ever did that. You ever said that to yourself? About somebody else maybe even? Or how about this, I won't do that sin again because then I'd be risking eternity. Maybe I'm not the person I say I am if I keep doing that sin over and over again. Let me tell you this, all those three excuses have never stopped anybody ultimately from falling into sin. That's why pulpits have been vacated even in this county by men who have stood up and believed those truths and fell because they did not rely on Christ but relied on their own self and they fell into sin of some kind. That's why community leaders all around the world, up to presidents, have been falling to the wayside because of their moral decisions instead of relying upon the one who can lead them in the path of righteousness. Listen, the fear of loss of reputation is not enough. The fear of shame and reproach is not enough to overcome temptation. The fear of sinning against a holy and just God, why we think it should be enough, it's really not enough because we still do it. The fear of hell is not enough to overcome temptation or none of us would ever sin. We don't need more strength in ourselves. We need Jesus. We need Jesus, brothers and sisters. Every moment of every day, we need Jesus. Only Jesus is enough to overcome our temptations to sin. Only the Lord can do that. John Owen, one of my favorite old dead guys to read, he puts it in this language. He says, however strong a castle may be, if a treacherous party resides inside, ready to betray at the first opportunity possible, the castle cannot be kept safe from the enemy. You get that? Castles are impenetrable unless there's a traitor on the inside. He says, traitors occupy our own hearts, ready to side with every temptation and to surrender to them all. Do not flatter yourself that you can hold out against temptation's power. Secret lusts lie lurking in your own heart, which will never give up until they are either destroyed or satisfied. In theory, we abhor lustful thoughts. But once temptation enters our hearts, all contrary reasonings are overcome in silence. You get that? Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, we think, oh yeah, I would never do those things. Those things are horrible. Those things are bad. Why would I ever do that stuff? I'm never going to do that sin. I know that sin's over there. I'm not going over there and getting tempted over there. I'm not going to go over there. You see that? Like, oh man, I just did that sin again. We lie to ourselves. Like, we're never going to do it. We talk in ways we're not going to do it. We teach ourselves, talk to ourselves. I'm never going to do that again. Next thing you know, we're kind of looking over here and we're doing the sin. We don't we don't even, we're not even able, it doesn't make sense. We lie inside of ourselves in a way that doesn't even make cognitive, logical sense. He says, the power of temptation is to darken the mind so that a person becomes unable to make right judgments about things as he did before entering into temptation. We have no power. We have no wisdom to keep ourselves from entering into temptation other than the power and wisdom of God. In all things, we are, as 1 Peter says, we are kept by the power of God. It's like, oh, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We need you. Deliver us from evil. We cannot, but you can. I'm unable, but you've shown you're able by defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell in Jesus on the cross. So let us be reminded of our weaknesses. Let, let us find our hope in Jesus and not in ourselves. Let me say it like this too. We can never put enough trust in Jesus. We can never put too much trust in Jesus. And we can never put too little trust in ourselves. You hear that? Say it one more time. You can never put too much trust in Jesus and you can never put too little trust in yourself. Do not trust yourself. Trust in the Savior who already proved himself over and over. 2 Corinthians 12 but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to brag about how much I fail. I'm going to brag about how unable I am so I can say Jesus is able. That's what he's saying. First Peter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, listen, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He will provide the way of escape. And I'm here to tell you today, the way is Jesus Christ. That's the way of escape. It is not in mustering up enough faith. It's in relying on the one who's proven himself over and over. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. No one overcomes temptation but by him. This is why when you are struggling with temptation, what you do is not muster up courage or pray harder. You run to God and say, God, remind me right now of how much you love me so much that you would give Jesus and how his death on the cross is enough to defeat this sin right now. His death on the cross is enough to overcome this temptation right now. Remind me what he did for me. Fill my heart with the love you've shown me already in Jesus. And as he fills you with that love, he puts his love inside of you. He pushes out this desire for sin because you're overwhelmed with desire for him because he first loved you. That's the way sin is overcome. That's the way temptation is overcome, by running headlong to Jesus. Listen, he abides in us. 
He lives in you. You don't have to go far. Just turn your eyes to Jesus and look full in his wondrous face. These sins, these temptations grow strangely dim. This old German guy named Helmut Kielicke. He reminds us, he says, he does not spare us suffering, but he is on our side. He does not free us from the burdens of life, but he helps us carry them. He does not simply banish death. He permits the last enemy to remain, but he helps us in our death. And though we must depart, he never departs from us. He does not spare us the valleys of the shadow, but he goes through them with us. Always a shepherd who leads us and a rod and a staff that will not let us stumble. I end with Scripture. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. That's the key. Keep watch on yourself. Be vigilant on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ as he's been bearing our burdens and bore them on the cross. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So let us take a good look in the mirror and recognize we cannot, but he has. Let us see that we are unable, but he's made himself able and has accomplished the goal on the cross. And we don't have to do anything to overcome sin and temptation because God's already overcome it for us. In Christ, let us run to the Savior and let him fill us with a desire for him that will wipe out and kill and mortify our desires of the flesh that we might find our hope in Jesus once again every day. And since then, we have a great high priest who has, passed us, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin for us in our place. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You do not have to fall into sin again. You will be tested. You will go through trials. And when those trials come, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his beautiful face. And let those temptations sins and things of the world disappear in his glory as we make much of him and love him and enjoy him because he first loved us. Oh Lord, deliver us from evil. Oh Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Overcome it for us. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from all evil. Deliver us from the evil of our own hearts. We plead the blood of your Son on our behalf, on the cross for us. Oh, Lord, deliver us. This is our prayer. If we hope in Jesus. The beautiful part is his promises are always, always true. Let us find our hope in him. Father, we need you this morning. 
we stand as men and women who have been tempted and who are tempted and who are unable to overcome. But Lord, you have already overcome in Jesus. Help us to rest in him. Help us to be overcome with the love you've shown us in Christ on the cross that we might be filled with that love that you might mortify and kill the desires within us that lead us to sin. Lord, we want to stand in your midst. We want to enjoy you every day. We don't want to do it just in the morning for 15 minutes. We want to walk with you day in and day out. We want people to see us as different, not for our own glory, but so they might see us as changed people because of the work of your son Jesus in our place on the cross 2,000 years ago, because of the work you're still doing in us, because you love us, because you're a loving Father who loves your children, every single one of us. Help us to love you back, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and yours is the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.